Welcome to the ILO Employment Policy Department's podcast series, Global Challenges, Global Solutions, the Future of Work. I'm your host, Tom Netter, and today we'll be discussing the digital transformation in Rwanda and how it's shaping the future of work. The global phenomenon of digitalization is increasingly going local. Worldwide, informal freelance online platform work is growing, providing new jobs for workers. Rwanda is a unique example. The Central African country has seen increasing migration of young people from the rural areas to towns and cities. These young people need jobs, and work in both the brick and mortar sector and the gig and platform economy are providing opportunities. But is this enough? There is a large group of potential employees who need to acquire new skills, including language skills. And can these trends create jobs that are decent and provide social protection? With us today to unpack this is Elvis Melia of MeliaCred, an expert at the German Institute on Development and Sustainability, and the lead of a new study funded by the German Agency for International Cooperation, or GIZ, that looks at Rwandan jobs in the digital area. Elvis, welcome to the program. I'll start with a general question. Your GIZ-supported research describes some of the ongoing trends shaping Rwanda's future of work, among them demographic and technological changes, and rural-urban migration. Can you elaborate a bit on this? Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess those are three trends, right? We have demographics in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, There's a lot of young people coming onto the labor market. Um, Technological changes, um, a lot of countries coming online, uh, more and more so. And uh, then you have rural urban migration. People, Most people still work in the countryside, but they're coming to cities for new opportunities, looking for jobs, uh, looking to have the big cities be the link to, to the world. Well, let me ask you this. Is the rise of the technological service sector creating more jobs, or is it changing the kinds of jobs? And how is this affecting jobs for women? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so want to want to unpack maybe technological sector, right? Um, so we have what we call in the literature we have IT enabled services sectors, and we divide those into two. Uh, the ones are place based, and place based means that the supplier of a certain service and the demander are in the same location. They're just using IT to enable that service. So think of ride hailing or delivery platforms, right? You're using an app on your phone, but you are in the same location as the person who's buying that service off you. On the other hand, this is what we find more interesting, what we hopefully can speak a bit more about is cloud-based services, which is you are using technology to export your services to virtually anywhere, right? You're sitting at your computer and you're you're pushing those services out to whoever wants to buy them in the world. And this is changing jobs in the sense that it, if you are serving a global market, um, it's essentially uh, limitless in terms of how big that market is, right? If you have something that other, others want to buy, then serving a global market is is, is much more interesting than, than serving a small domestic market. So that's why cloud-based uh, services are interesting for us. And how is this affecting women? Uh, well, it's it's changing jobs in the sense that, well, it's creating more jobs, uh, hopefully. And the part that we're interested in is, is contact center work. 
So think of call centers. Somebody calls in from afar because they have a problem with something in, in, in their device or an e-commerce platform or, or telemedicine, and somebody answers the phone uh, and speaks with them. And for that particular service, it has been shown that contrary to uh, different ICT work, where the ratio is usually 80-20, 80% men, 20% women, it's about 50-50. There's a, there's a gender balance in contact center work, which is which is great. So how has this, um, all this been affected or impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Right. So in Rwanda, the sector is just taking off. So it hasn't really been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic in the, in, other than that the takeoff has been a bit slower. There's a handful of uh, global business services companies exporting services to the world from Rwanda, and they've been a bit slower in setting up. Globally, what's interesting for us is that the pandemic has affected this, uh, we'll call it the contact center services sector, um, in, in two ways. A direct way was that, of course, if you look at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, everything got shut down and that also pretty much shut that sector down in many sectors. So for example, if you're looking at airlines, if, if, if there aren't many passengers, then there aren't going to be many people calling in, right? So that sector took a dip there. But if you think about it, as we progressed in the pandemic, contact center work increased overall because new sectors came on board that we didn't have so much before. So one of them is is telemedicine, right? That was a, a big sector. Another one is e-commerce, e-commerce platforms uh, using uh, contact center uh, help. That's the direct way that the pandemic influenced this sector globally. The other way that's maybe more interesting for sub-Saharan African countries and, and for Rwanda in particular is that we've had a, a labor shortage even before the pandemic, and the, the pandemic has exacerbated this. Now, we, we don't know quite why that is yet, um, but we're thinking that it has to do with people doing work from home and finding other things to do and then not coming back. So we have this in many sectors. We have a, a swimming pool here in, in my town that a lot of times the week it's closed now because they just don't have enough lifeguards. So now if you wanted to find lifeguards from other parts of the world, they'd have to come to this location, right? But in the contact center industry, it's different, of course. So the company can actually go to new locations. So in terms of the COVID pandemic having led to labor shortages in high-income countries, contact center companies, so the global business services sector companies are actively looking for new delivery locations around the world. And that's also in sub-Saharan Africa taking place. So that's very exciting for those of us who are trying to create future-oriented jobs in sub-Saharan Africa, because these companies are very interested in coming to new locations. So what we're trying to do is uh, make, make different African cities, in this case, Kigali, Rwanda, more interesting for them. It's really, um, I find that's really fascinating. Um, the, uh, the GIZ research is also looking at the opportunities and challenges associated with advancing digitalization. Is this creating a gateway for new jobs, which you've already touched on? Uh, and are these jobs uh, jobs that people actually like? Right. So that, that's the crux of it. So what we did with this study that we just brought out, that should be out by the time this airs, um, is w w there are kind of two sides of the coin in the literature about contact center work, 
right? I'm sure you've heard of both of them. One is the one that I've been just touting is that the opportunities that are involved in this sector, right? You can, you can export your services from anywhere. You can climb the value ladder. Um, another is more critical, which is a literature that comes a lot uh, out of the Indian uh, BPO sector, um, lamenting that um, a lot of workers have there's there's a ceiling in the sector that there is um, not much um, room for career development in in this sector. These are graduates who come into this sector and won't stay in the sector long. There's high attrition, right? So is this sector really helpful for workers? Do workers like this sector, or is it more you know this derogatory term of a, a digital sweatshop? Right? Is is this really exploitative work? Right. So we thought, what can we do uh, apart from, you know, touting our own opinions about this? How can we in- empirically contribute to, the, to, to this literature? And w- what we did is we went on LinkedIn, which is, by the way, for any researchers out there, is a great tool for finding workers. Uh, in this sense, we went on LinkedIn and we searched for um, people who had in their profiles the name of a large BPO in Kigali, in Rwanda, in their profile, who were past employees, right? So asking past employees of a company whether or not uh, that company was uh, beneficial for them, was good for them, is has many advantages. One of them is, like, methodologically, um, it's going to mu- be much more likely that a past employee who has moved on from that company or even from that sector will tell you more honestly whether or not that company or that sector was good for them, right? And they will be able to tell you. If you ask a current worker, what is the trajectory of upward mobility? The current worker won't be able to tell you because they can't see the future yet, right? If you ask a manager of that company, um, they are more likely to give you a rosy picture of it because their answer will be will be conditioned by by their their situation. Asking workers who used to work in the sector is, for me, the 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 best among the many limited methods we have to find out whether or not it's actually a good sector. Right. So we did a bit of a comparison. We we asked uh, ride hailing uh, company uh, drivers of, of ride hailing platforms how they liked their work, and then we also asked these contact center workers and former contact center workers. So we did various focus group discussions. And long answer long, in the end, what we found, and this was really interesting, what we, what we found is that past contact center workers really cherished their contact center work. They said, yes, the pay wasn't that great, but I was just out of high school or just out of university, and I came in to that job, uh, worked there for two years, and those two years gave me the the kind of the soft skills and the confidence that I needed in my further work to uh, speak with other people. And a lot of times in, in low-income countries, and again, you remember I mentioned that there's gender equity in this sector. A lot of times it's it's difficult, especially for young women also, to, to speak with people who are older and maybe more authoritative. So just to give you that example, and um, quite a few of my interviewees told me that it was easier for them, me calling them from Germany and, and, and speaking to them in our, in our pilot interviews. They said, well, even you calling me now, uh, it's it's much easier for me to speak with you on eye level 
and to be confident that that I have something to contribute than it would have been before I worked for the two years in the contact center industry. Because think about it, if you work in a contact center industry, every call you take is usually a disgruntled person <laughs> calling you because they have a problem, right? And what you do from morning until evening is you help people solve their problems in a particular vertical, whether this is rebooking a flight or finding a package on an e-commerce platform and you're 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 going through your days and 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 weeks and months of of your work helping people solve their problems uh using using your voice doing that and and that can be uh, tremendously helpful for future employment for example working in a five-star hotel or working in other companies working in human resources you mentioned just now uh or just briefly uh the, the role of education um, so let's talk a little bit about the future of learning. Are the, are the skills already there or will new ones be needed in the future? And is the future of work and the future of learning converging? Right. So great question. I'm not sure I can answer it fully. Um, we're trying, of course. What we like about the contact center work, uh, you know, serving global clients in you know, from, from a contact center is, is that the entry barriers are comparatively low, right? Really, when we have this this you know ABC numbering, I don't know if listeners are familiar with it, but really, uh, what you need in order to work in a contact center is B two level English if you're serving an English market, which is currently the case. So, what we're trying to do right now in in the local ecosystem in in Kigali is working together with the Rwanda Development Board, working together with partner organizations like GIZ or the Mastercard Foundation together with the skilling organizations that are a lot of times linked up with the global business services companies. So to just maybe to, to reach out a bit to, to explain what, what I mean by that is for the longest time, um, partner organizations, donor organizations funded by taxpayer money from the global north have kept companies a bit at arm's length, right? Because there was a worry that we're using taxpayer money to uh, fund companies' core business. <laughs> the result of that was that if we're trying to create skills for jobs, uh, you, you'll know this, Tom, you, you can only go so far with certificates. People need to learn on the job, right? And, and what better way to do that than to bring the company into the training process? So working together with these skilling organizations and with the global business services companies themselves to do the upskilling, to get workers to where they need to be, to get into the seat, to get into taking that first phone call. And then, of course, after a couple of years, they're going to be much better. Even after a couple of days, they're going to be much better once they've taken phone calls, once they've learned by doing. And that's really what we're, what we're trying to do. Get people into those seats, get people on the headset get them speaking, get them solving problems for people, and then just everything else will go from there. So to, to, the short answer is, it's basically just language skills, language and, and soft skills, communication skills. And a lot of times the way people get there by the beginning is, and it's actually quite fun, is binge watching episodes of, depending on where the demand market is, if the demand market is in, in the United States, of American sitcoms understanding American culture, getting getting a feel for how Americans speak. And uh, now there's an argument to be made if Americans actually speak the way they speak on sitcoms, especially when they call you and they're angry about their device or something. But uh, that that's, that's the start. And then from there, learning by doing. 
I think that sounds like a pretty novel uh, approach, but it makes sense. Um, so in conclusion, what kind of policies are needed to enable the positive scenario to play out so that more people, and particularly women and youth, can benefit? Right. So I just alluded to it a bit. Um, the the policies that, that, and this is my personal opinion, but it's based on our study, so uh, you can read up a, about it a bit more there. Um, the, the policies that we're looking for is a, a coordination of different international development partners who are all interested in this field, but harmonizing and aligning their work together with the local government, the agency of the local government. In this case, it's the Rwanda Development Board and really the companies working to finding a way to work together with the companies. So these are global companies. If you think about it, some of these companies work in 135 locations around the world, right? So they know what needs to be done. They're bringing the clients with them and they know what they need. A lot of companies have turned from being very price conscious to also wanting to tell a story to their clients of impact sourcing. Right, creating an impact is not only interesting for donor organizations, for the development partners, for the local government, and for the for the workers, of course, who are benefiting from that impact, but also for the companies whose clients and whose clients' customers uh, feel that they don't want this uh, digital sweatshop kind of uh, environment. Right, companies want to create an impact. And those are the kinds of companies we're looking for. And so far, we've been running in open doors. I mean, a lot of companies are willing to pay 20% more uh, to uh, create an impact and to help people up that uh, career ladder. Okay, Elvis, that was great. Um, I really want to thank you for uh, what is really an eye-opening summary on uh, these various scenarios. Um, do you have anything else you want to add at this stage? Tom, thanks for that. And thanks for this opportunity. Uh, to speak here. I've been listening to your podcast and it's a real benefit uh, to, to, to have your podcast. I wanted to, in uh, my own selfish little way, <laughs> plug my own podcast. So I am actually starting a podcast about these issues. So if you're interested in labor issues, if you're interested in the kinds of things that, that Tom asks people in the ILO podcast, um, you might be interested in what we do. So we bring together academics and uh, policymakers and workers and try to hear from them how technology is changing the world of work uh, in Africa and in low-income countries. So check it out if you're interested. It's called Credible Conversations by Melia Cred. And our first episode is out. It's uh, Vili Ledomvirta, professor at Oxford, speaking about his new book, Cloud Empires. Cloud Empires are these... Um, uh, online platforms and all kinds of digital empires that that are beginning to rule the world. So thanks, Tom. Elvis, I want to thank you again for that fascinating overview of the scenarios for the future of IT-enabled work in Rwanda. It makes it pretty clear that Rwanda is at the fault line of a new kind of labor market that will characterize the future of work. I'm Tom Netter, and you've been listening to the ILO Employment Policy Department's podcast series, Global Challenges, Global Solutions, The Future of Work. Thank you for your time.